Since 1982, the National Endowment for the Arts has honored living jazz musicians through its Jazz Masters Fellowship. Fellows get an honorarium, now $25,000, and a celebration of their work in concert that's broadcast and streamed worldwide. From Jazz at Lincoln Center, I'm Steve Rath with Jazz Stories from the Masters. Our colleague Molly Murphy has interviewed some 66 of the 128 jazz masters, and she counts her good fortune in having gotten to meet and spend time with so many of America's great artists. Molly? Yeah, you know, Steve, I've been welcomed into their homes, caught up with them on the road, you know, backstage or in green rooms or in hotel rooms, just wherever we can find a quiet hour. And I have to say, I just think jazz musicians are really interesting people. Because of the nature of the music, you know, it just demands that they be very creative and quick thinkers. And you know, I just never seem to tire of hearing about those early experiences that first ignited their interest or their passion in music, or hearing about how they approach composition, how they relate to their audiences, and definitely Road stories are always good, too. Does hearing those stories from them change the way you hear their music? Yes. For me, hearing their stories, it's like having this wonderful historical, social, and emotional context just painted around me. And it really does change the way I hear their music. And I appreciate it that much more. And I have to say, you know, I just walk away from every interview feeling really inspired. When I was about six or seven years old, my mother and I were walking down Fifth Street in Dayton, Ohio, and Louis Armstrong was in town. And my mother saw Louis and said, Louis Armstrong, this is my son, Snoopy. He wants to play trumpet like you. I lived upstairs over the Arcady Theater in Detroit, and I would sit right in front of the bandstand, and I was fascinated by what I heard. I said, that's what I want to do. I heard Tommy Dorsey's band at the Earl Theater in Philadelphia. My brother and I used to go to the theater, and we'd stay sometimes on a Saturday. We'd stay for five shows all day. Then he featured a clarinet player by the name of Johnny Mintz. And it kind of made me decide that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to play jazz on the clarinet. Every musician can remember a pivotal moment of early inspiration. In my the juke joint on the block had a great jukebox, and there I heard Dinah Washington, Ruth Brown, Laverne Baker, Little Esther, Little Jimmy Scott. I sound just like Jimmy Scott. With reverie of days gone by. 
Every time I hear the music, it was like a magnet. Chicago was always full of music. Every night, Muddy Waters, all those kind of people were playing. And I would stand at the door. I was too young to go, and I would just stand there with my mouth wide open listening to them. I had no idea that I would be a musician later. Muhal Richard Abrams, Nancy Wilson, Buddy DeFranco, Yusef Latif, and Snooky Young. The thing that I call my spiritual awakening was that I heard this marvelous guitar player on a Benny Goodman record, and it was Charlie Christian. The tune was called Grand Slam, which is a blues F major. And I remember thinking, I wasn't even sure what it was he was doing, but I said, whatever that is, I wish I could do it. Spiritual awakening, in the words of Jim Hall, that every musician seems to have. From Jazz at Lincoln Center Radio, we're hearing NEA Jazz Masters and radio host Wendell Pierce. We're celebrating 30 years of the National Endowment for the Arts Jazz Masters Fellowship Program. Seeing them now, it's hard to imagine that so many of the Jazz Masters had meager beginnings. My stepfather, he was a guitar player. George Benson. My hands were too small for guitar, so he found the ukulele in a trash can. It was all broken up. And he glued it back together and bought some strings, and that was my first instrument. I had an older brother. He had a pair of drumsticks. I picked them up when I was very young, and I never did put them down since then. Roy Haynes. They were broken, we taped them up. Didn't buy another pair, I don't know. Didn't have any money, enough money. And those were the first drumsticks I used to use as a drum on my mother's dishes, yes. My grandmother had a parlor, and parlor was for company. Shirley Horn. But there was a piano there. And every time I come to my grandmother's house, I'd look in there. Then I found myself always going there, trying to get up on that round stool to play the piano. And I did. I was four years old. Another season, another reason for making whoopee. A friend of mine, Sonny King, had a flute in his attic, and he gave it to me. Hubert Laws. I went around two days without even being able to make a sound off that thing. But once I started getting a sound, that boy became like an instant marriage. Not only are first instruments memorable, so are first performances. When I was about 14, I won a Tommy Dorsey swing contest in Philadelphia. It was a nationally broadcast contest, presided over by Dorsey himself. Buddy DeFranco credits his clarinet teacher, who schemed out his whole performance. When I made the finals, there were four contestants. He said, you're going to win. You're going to win because you're going to wear knickers, <laughs> which I didn't want to do because I had just graduated to wearing long pants. And he said, uh, toward the end of your solo, you're going to hold the clarinet with one hand and play one note and bark out that one note and hold your right hand out so the audience will see you're playing the clarinet with one hand. Real show business. Well, it tore them up. They thought that was fantastic, and the other three guys had no chance. 
Tommy Dorsey right after that says, stick around, kid, you're going to play in my band someday. Sure enough, DeFranco went on to be a featured soloist in the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra. Not all beginnings are so auspicious, though. Bobby Hutchison gave his first performance on the vibraphone for a high school talent show. He'd only played the instrument for two weeks. He couldn't yet read music. So with a felt-tip pen, the band leader carefully wrote numbers on the vibraphone bars in the order that Bobby should hit the notes. I was supposed to be this whiz who could play the vibraphone in two weeks, and when we got ready to go on stage, the stage manager of the place told me, he said, okay, you kids, get out there and play. Oh, and Bobby, by the way, I saw a bunch of black stuff all over your bars, so I took a wet towel and I wiped it off. I said, you didn't. He says, yes, I did. Now get on out there and have a great time. My heart started beating like mad, and uh, the curtain opened, and I think I remembered the first note. And from then on, everything was chaos, and all the kids at school were laughing. Yeah, that was a rough one. At the heart of jazz is improvisation, that daunting art of spontaneous creation. Kenny Barron calls it the linchpin of jazz. It's like instant composition, creating problems for yourself while you're playing and having to solve them while you're playing. It amazes me that just to be able to grab a handful of notes out of the thin air and make something out of it. I love it. Improvisation has always been important because it's always important in life. If you don't know how to improvise, you're going to find yourself in a lot of stressful situations that you can't come up with an answer for. Slide Hampton. It's what Louis Armstrong and those guys showed people can be a very sophisticated thing, and it helps a person to grow to the greatest level of whatever they're trying to achieve. And this is what jazz is about, teaching people this. can play anything you want to, as long as you take the audience along with you, you know. Frank West. You can't run off and leave them, you know, and then you just, a lot of times you hear people playing and when they end up, they're right where they started, you know, <laughs> they haven't gone anywhere, you know. guys uh, come up with ideas at home and then play those ideas for the paying customers. 2010 NEA Jazz Master, Lee Collins. I just go out and uh, start from scratch, hopefully. I'm an improviser and I try to practice improvising when I play the instrument. I play every day. You know, some people talk about practicing 8 and 12 hours a day. I mean, I never did that, but I played every day. I try to just uh, play music, whatever form it takes. 
and EA Jazz Master Lee Konitz talking about the art of improvisation with producer Molly Murphy, who conducted most of the other interviews featured in this podcast. You can stream the Jazz Master's Ceremony live from the Rose Theater on Tuesday, January 10th via npr.org and hear past performances at jalc.org slash jazzcast. You can also find all of our Jazz Stories podcasts there and on iTunes. Molly Murphy, David Gorin, and Alexa Lim produced this podcast at Murray Street with support from Jazz at Lincoln Center. Consider becoming a member or joining us for a live performance. More at jalc.org. For Jazz Stories, I'm Steve Rath. <laughs>